Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Let me tell you a story. There was once a big pumpkin in the ground. It was so big, the farmer thought, I'm finally going to win the annual giant vegetable competition. So the farmer went out to try and pull this pumpkin out of the ground. He pulled with all of his strength, but no, he could not get it out. He thought to himself, I'll go and get my wife. So off he went and brought her back, and together they pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled, but try as they might, they still couldn't get it out. Then the farmer's wife thought to herself, ah, let's go get our son. So the farmer, his wife, and the son pulled and pulled and pulled, and it still wouldn't come out. So the three of them go off and uh, find their daughter, and then the farmer, his wife, the son, and the daughter got together and they pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled, but still they couldn't get it out. They were almost all out of ideas when the farmer remembered the animals. So he went to fetch the dog. Now don't ask me how this works, but then the farmer, the wife, the son, the daughter and the dog tried together and pulled and pulled and pulled, but still the pumpkin would not come out. So the wife thinks, oh, I'll go and get the cat. So now again, don't ask me to explain how, but the farmer, the wife, the daughter, the dog, and the cat pulled and pulled and pulled until they couldn't pull anymore, until it felt like their arms were going to fall off and, they would, and it wouldn't come out. Then suddenly the son thought, I will go and get the mouse. And the farmer, of course, thought it was a waste of time. What help could a mouse be? But he didn't have any better ideas, so he decided to go along with it. So the farmer, the wife, the son, the daughter, the dog, the cat, and the mouse pulled and pulled and pulled. And just at that point, the pumpkin started to move. It started to wobble. It started to come loose. And then whoosh, it came out of the ground. Now, you might be wondering, why on earth am I telling you this story? Because as the church, we have a big mission in this world. Our mission is to help people find their way back to God. It's really very simple. It's bigger than any one person. It's actually bigger than any one church. It's bigger than any one denomination or movement. To accomplish that enormous mission, every single person has a part to play. Even the ones seemingly who have little to offer in the end make the critical difference. So if you rule yourself out, then not only will you miss out on being part of the Jesus mission in this world, but actually the church will miss out on being able to accomplish its part in the mission of Jesus too. So we're in this series exploring what it means to be a supernatural Christian. We're reading through the 12th chapter of a letter that Paul, one of the first missionaries and church planters, wrote to a church in Rome, which is why it's called Romans, and he wrote to them before making his visit. And throughout this series, we've been highlighting five key markers of a mature follower of Jesus 
that can be found in chapter 12. Now, we've been uh, going through this list of five every week, and so I wonder if you can remember, remember them, and they come with hand signals. So number one, surrender. This is about our relationship with God. Then set apart our relationship with the world. Sober self-assessment is about our relationship with ourselves. Service, our relationship with each other. And finally, a supernatural response to evil. So today, we're going to look at sober self-assessment. Let's read from Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. Paul writes this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What Paul tells us in this passage is that the way our lives are transformed is through a process of change in the way that we think about everything. So far, we have seen how it changes how we think about God and the world. Then Paul goes on to say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In the Greek, this phrase more highly, it's hyperphronio, which means to have gone beyond hyper, a personal, a reasonable personal perspective, phronio. In other words, Paul is saying, don't believe your own hype, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now that that word judgment is actually the same word that we translate as thinking. So Paul's saying, think of yourself with sober thinking in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, this sense of the phrase sober judgment or sober thinking literally means to have a balanced, realistic perspective of yourself, not too high and not too low. So I wonder, what do you think of yourself? Who are you? If you were to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? In this passage, Paul is urging us to avoid the two extremes that we can fall into, either thinking too much of ourselves or thinking far too little of ourselves. So I want to unpack these two areas. I want to start with the first, thinking too much of ourselves. Now, for me personally, from a young age, I was taught at school that my value and worth in this world was directly linked to my achievements, my grades, the university I got into, the subject I studied, and the kind of company I worked for, what starting salary I had, how big my pension pot was going to be, etc., 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 Now, as a result, during my A-levels, I experienced insomnia for several months because I was so anxious that I wouldn't get enough uh, marks to get into the university that I'd chosen and that I would be considered a failure. In the end, I did get the grades I needed and I went to the university I wanted to go to and I graduated with a master's and a first and ended up with a really good job. I had made it. Now, the funny thing is, what does any of that count for now? 
Now, this is just one of the ways in which we're conditioned in our culture and our society to con constantly assess whether we are higher or lower in the pecking order than the others around us, whether we're worth more or less. Pick your category. It could be social class. It could be how much money you have. It could be your level of education, where you live, your relationship status, what clothes you wear, uh, how well you're doing as a mother, your career, the life choices people have made. The list is absolutely endless. Now, the irony is that for me, all of this drive and hard work ethic came from actually having a very low view of myself that I learned to medicate through achievement and affirmation. The problem is, though, that when you have a very high view of yourself, you end up looking down on everybody else. Now, it's good that that never happens in church, right? Now, I thought I would leave all of these struggles behind when I left the corporate world and stepped into ministry. Nope. You may think, I don't struggle with this. That's not me. I want you to ask yourselves these questions honestly. Are there people that you avoid because they're not like you? I think in your work or at church or family. Are there any jobs that you consider beneath you? Do you get defensive when people give you unsolicited criticism? Does it bother you when someone else gets attention or praise? These are just a few personal examples. So the question is, what's the antidote to all of this? Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in accordance with the faith God has given you. See it in a new light. Look, we were all facing a lost eternity without God before he chose to reveal his son to us so that through him we might be reconciled into a loving relationship with him now and for eternity. And therefore, through repentance and faith, we have been crowned with honour, given a place in his kingdom, a seat at his table and become part of the body. Not because of anything we have done, but all because of what God has done for us through his son in his incredible love. What an amazing God we have. As the old saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of us are here on merit. We're all capable of awful things. No one is better than anyone else. We all have things that we would rather people didn't know about us. But God knows. And the amazing thing is, he loves us and he forgives us and he's called us and chosen us through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to belong to him. In God's kingdom, none of the old measures of value count for anything. This is why the church, this supernatural community that is all about Jesus, when it's working as it should, it is the most astonishing thing on planet Earth. It unites men and women, marrieds and singles, young and old, CEOs and homeless, educated and uneducated, every race, because all of these distinctions melt away in the light of Jesus Christ. Now, this new way of thinking about ourselves, it doesn't just happen overnight, it takes time. For me personally, one of the most helpful tools is one that I came across a little while ago, and it's a set of questions that helps to you to reflect on your life and what's really going on in here. And it's these four questions. Number one, what am I angry about? What am I anxious about? 
What am I sad about? And what am I glad about? And eventually, as you start using this tool regularly, you begin to ask yourself, why do I keep feeling angry about this? Or why do I keep feeling sad about that? What is this telling me about how I see God or see myself or the world or others? And is that at odds with the good news of Jesus? Like, uh, when I said, like when I said earlier, when I stepped into ministry, I brought all of my energy and drive and ambition with me. And there would be many good things. Uh, but I'd also seen the negative impact it had on some of the people around me. Now, a couple of years ago, I went on the Extreme Character Challenge in the Scottish Highlands, a four-day mind, body and soul adventure design, designed to get guys to talk about things they would never normally talk about, to get us to be really honest with ourselves. There's actually a group going again in March and you can go to ivychurch.org forward slash XEC to find out more. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Anyway, this topic that we're talking about today is one of the things that I was wrestling with at the time that we went. And through the stories that people shared and the conversations that we had, I felt God say to me, Tim, I'm not going to judge you on how many people you lead to Christ or how many churches you help plant. I'm going to judge you on how you are as a husband and as a father. That gave me a sober view of things. And I've been trying in a very faltering way to live that out ever since. So I wonder, are we willing to become really honest with ourselves? Paul says this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But that's not to say that we then just go around thinking ourselves as being very lowly, like I'm just a miserable sinner, there's no hope for me. That's the other extreme. We end up thinking far too little of ourselves. Now, I can fall into this too. You know, Becky and I can have one argument about something and then afterwards I'm like, oh, I'm a terrible husband, why? Why did you marry me? And that's not right either. That's not the right way of thinking about things. I love the series uh, that we did last summer here at Ivy when we looked at the different blessings that we have received in Christ that comes out of Ephesians chapter one, that we are chosen, that we're adopted, that we're redeemed, that we're included and that we're sealed in Christ. And I go over those again and again because these are not feelings or empty self-help affirmations. These are the permanent fixed realities that help us settle our view of ourselves in God's eyes. So it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking far too little of ourselves, either because of things that people have said you know, to you over the years, you know, whether it's parents or friends or teachers or colleagues or bosses or even Christians and even church leaders that make you feel that you, know, you don't really belong for whatever reason, or that you don't have something to contribute, or that what you can offer is not as important as what someone else does for whatever reason. Instead, Paul says this, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, We, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, let me use another illustration, the illustration of 
a puzzle. And uh, if you're joining us in person, you will have been given uh, a piece of this puzzle when you came in. So why don't you get it out, have a look at it. And uh, if you've got a corner piece, you get a prize. I'm just joking. And if you're at home, go and find a piece of a puzzle if you happen to have one. Every piece belongs to the puzzle. No single piece has the whole picture, just a part. No one piece is more important than any other. Actually, a piece on its own doesn't make any sense without all the others. Each single piece has a unique place that it fits. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to complete a puzzle and realised you were missing a piece of it. Uh, it's not great if you've got OCD like me. Or if you've ever tried to complete a pu puzzle with a toddler only to discover that a piece was missing, equally catastrophic. The truth is that without every piece, the puzzle cannot be completed. In the same way, we all belong. We have all been given gifts. We all have a unique part to play, but we belong to something bigger than ourselves. Now, I think some of us spend time obsessing over our piece. Look how great my gifts are. Come and have a look, admire it. We put, it on a piece, put our piece on a pedestal or on Instagram, and you know that always ends in frustration and failure. Equally, there are some of us that have never realised that actually we hold a piece of the puzzle. You've never realised that you actually have a unique place and a unique contribution that you can make, whoever you are, whether you're young or old, whether you're single or married or divorced or physically fit or struggling with some kind of limitation, whether you have more degrees than a thermometer or you dropped out of high school, you have a unique contribution, a valuable contribution to make. Last term, we looked at the list of the spiritual gifts, pieces of the puzzle that God has given us. We saw how God urges us to eagerly desire them and discover what they are so that we can play our part. Paul lists them in this chapter as well, and it's not an exhaustive list. Prophecy, hearing from God and sharing with others, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, showing kindness. These are all so important. Every one of these gifts is needed. I wonder, have you discovered your gifts? And if you have, are you doing something with them to help other people? Sober self-assessment is not only being radically honest about our weaknesses and owning them, it is also about being radically honest about our gifts and owning them too, not being embarrassed about it. So you might ask, well, how can we discover the gifts God has given us? There are so many ways. Number one, you could ask other people what they see in you. What do they think you're good at? Number two, talk to people who do what you would love to do and ask if you could get involved somehow and learn how to do it. Number three, completing personality profiles and spiritual gifts assessments. They can all be helpful too. And a great new resource that we've come across comes from Chip Ingram and the Living on the Edge Ministry, and it's called the Real You Assessment. Honestly, if you just Google the Real You Assessment, you'll find it. It's free. It's very helpful. And you can talk through the results with your grow group or a team leader or a mentor or a fellow Christian. But honestly, the best way is just to start serving, get involved, have a go at a few different things, help out where there is a need, whatever it is, and you will discover your gifts. Because actually, the cure of not thinking about yourself too highly or too lowly is to stop thinking about yourself altogether and instead to think about the needs of others, 
and to use what God has given you to help them. Let me finish with a story. I want to tell you about a lady called Agnes. Agnes was born in 1910 in Skopje, the capital of Macedonia, to a devout Catholic family of Albanian descent. Though they had hardly any money, they always welcomed the poor and destitute from the community to come and eat with them. And through various experiences, at the age of 18, she became a nun and set off to Ireland to join the Sisters of Loreto and eventually moved to India to teach at St Mary's High School for Girls, where she eventually became the principal. After 15 years she was of doing this, God spoke to her and asked her to abandon her teaching and everything that came with that, to work in the slums of Calcutta, aiding the city's poorest and sickest people. She left everything behind and after six months of basic medical training, set out into Calcutta slums with a simple goal, to use all of her gifts to help the unwanted, the unloved and the uncared for. Today, you are much more likely to know her as Mother Teresa. So, we are all part of a bigger picture. None of us is it. None of us has it all. But if we recognise that every single one of us does have an important part to play, and if we discover that we have a unique and valuable contribution to make, and we help others to discover what their contribution to make is too, together we can achieve the mission that God has given us to share his love in the world and make something beautiful. <laughs>